This is the voice of the Report of the Week, signing on. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone listening. This is VORW International, the voice of the Report of the Week. We are signing on today, this Thursday, the 11th of April, 2019. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast, uh, this week's podcast. For those of you listening in for the first time, this is a weekly light entertainment show where I just offer my miscellaneous thoughts, feedback, views, opinions, and commentary on a wide variety of issues, uh, some of which I just pluck out of my own mind, others that are suggested by the listening audience. VORW International can be heard a wide variety of ways, online, via iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Google Play, TuneIn, YouTube, SoundCloud, and other platforms, also on the international shortwave frequencies of 5850 kHz and 7780 kHz, broadcasts every Thursday on 5950 kHz have been discontinued. Thank you for tuning into this show. Hope you enjoy what it has to offer. Any, uh, well, I guess first minute feedback, questions, reception reports, all are welcome. Email address is always open, v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. So, welcome to the program. Welcome to today's show. The 11th of April. Not quite halfway through the month, uh, but you know, we're, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there soon. Uh, starting Monday, obviously, that'll be the official halfway point. To be honest, it, it feels like 2019 hasn't even started yet. You know, it doesn't even feel, to me anyway, like New Year, you know? It's crazy. Time is just a crazy thing, but I just figure, you know, I'm, I'm here for the ride, and uh, I'm just going to keep on... Keep on doing doing my thing. I hope this last week has been a fine one for you. Hope it's, uh... Well, it's been good enough. If it hasn't, and I hope this week to follow will uh, pick up. You know, even if you had a lousy week, there's always the next week. And, you know, who's to say? You don't know what the future holds. So if it's not the best time for you, hope things pick up, get better. Before we get on to uh, tonight's... You know, this is kind of an exaggeration, but I, I'm going to say it because it sounds nice. Uh, tonight's feature topic, you know, doesn't that make it sound really, really cool? <laughs> uh, but that's just, you know, whatever I want to you know, talk about on my own. Uh, before we get to that, a few miscellaneous notes. And uh, then we have lots of good topics suggested by the listening audience, as we always do. So uh, stay tuned for that. We always have some good, good discussion and variety guaranteed. First things first, as I always like to mention just at the start, get it out of the way, uh, there have been a few additional scheduling changes made with the program. Uh, We used to have three airings of this uh, talk program on shortwave, one of which was from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on 5950 kHz, and it was beamed kind of to... uh, the southwestern U.S., you know, to Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, northern Mexico, and perhaps even southern California, that airing has been discontinued. Uh, I pulled the plug on that one 
um, feedback, you know, not the best. So if costs can be minimized or if that can be used for something else, then it will be. So with that, I pulled the plug on that airing. Uh, however, I am adding a new transmission. It'll be from the time of 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern, every Thursday. That's 13 to 14 UTC. It's on the frequency of 15.770 kilohertz. That's 15.770 megahertz. And uh, hopefully it's going to be a good transmission. It's beamed up the East Coast, so it's going to you know, hit the New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, go into New England, and then it's going to kind of curve over the Atlantic and uh, hit North Africa and uh, then go into the Middle East, Mediterranean, perhaps Southern Europe. So, well, you know, it's definitely a good coverage area, and uh, hopefully we'll get some good coverage, good feedback, and good response on that new transmission. I know that a lot of people in North Africa that still listen to shortwave don't necessarily have internet or the means to reach out to me, but, you know, hopefully there'll be a few people out there tuned in, uh, you know, wherever across Morocco, Algeria, Libya, Tunisia, Egypt, etc. So hopefully that transmission will go well, and you know, we'll just take it as it comes, and we'll see what happens. Uh, so that's where that stands. And uh, those are just the, the broadcast changes that have been made. You know, I'm always willing to make a few adjustments with the schedule here and there. And, uh, you know, do what needs to be done to improve or, or guarantee, perhaps, the efficacy of the broadcasts. So that's the first thing. Uh, number two, just on a kind of a non-serious note. I, you know, I have to tell you, this evening... I went over to McDonald's. I was... I was very thoroughly disappointed in them tonight. And, you know, that's... I mean, sometimes it's a shock. Like, I've always... I've always seen McDonald's as kind of being... hit or miss. Shouldn't be that way. I think any establishment, be that a, a restaurant of esteem, you know, a five-star restaurant, you name it, or even just a simple fast food place, should be able to guarantee a quality product. Sometimes, uh, you know, whenever I have a grievance or a complaint about a fast food place, and, you know, I'll say, look, I, I went to uh, McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's or Taco Bell or, you know, whatever place, and I'll say I really wasn't satisfied with the service that I got. You know, I wasn't a fan of the the product that was offered to me at all. People will try to justify the uh, poor quality, and they'll say, well, it's fast food, man. What, what, what do you expect? Well, I, I don't expect much. You know, I don't expect to go to McDonald's and have it as one of those places that has Gordon Ramsay running around in the kitchen, and, you know, having five-star award-winning, world-class chefs or, or anything. I don't expect that. I don't expect to get a $250 filet mignon uh, cooked perfectly. No. I, I just expect, you know, some semi-affordable bites, some, maybe some burgers or some chicken nuggets, some fries, and just cooked to the standards. You know, that's, that's all that I ask. 
You know, it's, it's not like I expect anything more. But sometimes I think that, that feeling of complacency, well, it's just McDonald's, what do you expect? The food is going to be terrible. I don't think that attitude is necessarily the right way to look at it. Because in doing so, you're kind of just giving them a pass. Well, yeah, what do you expect? It's not like it used to be. And then it'll go down even further. Well, that's McDonald's for you. And then it'll go down even further and further. Well, what, what did you expect? And it's just kind of allowing them to lower the standards more and more and more. At the detriment of you and me. So I think that there does need to be a, a bar set. And uh, certain standards that should be maintained and upheld. And uh, most of the time when I go to McDonald's, I'm pretty satisfied with my order. Because again, I'm not expecting, you know, world-class stuff. I'm just expecting, a, you know, a burger like it would taste from McDonald's. And maybe a McChicken sandwich or some nuggets or some fries or whatever I'm feeling that day. And so I'm not expecting the world. So I went over there tonight before I recorded this program, and I got the uh, Bacon Big Mac, uh, which I still have, they, they're still serving, and I've been a, uh, a fan of that one anyway, it's, you know, tasted good enough most of the time. Something was really wrong with this one, though, I mean, I have to tell you, something was off about it. Like, the, the, the beef patty, it didn't even taste like beef. It's like... You know, you ever, you ever have the McDonald's breakfast, and get the um, whatever you know, like a sausage, McGriddle or McMuffin or whatever, you know, whatever they call it that has the little like breakfast sausage patty on it. To me, it tasted like that's what they used instead of the beef patty. I mean, it tasted noticeably wrong, and this was one of the the few times that I took like two or three bites from this Big Mac, and I couldn't eat any more, because it just tasted so off, like, so off-putting, I, I was worried I was going to get sick uh, from eating any more of it, so I couldn't, I couldn't do it, you know, that was that, but I mean, I gotta tell you, yeah, not every McDonald's is like this, but it's always something to see the standards just plunging, I mean, just going down and down. And then people just giving them a free pass and saying, Yeah, that's McDonald's. What do you expect? Well, I mean, I expect to get a burger that tastes like a burger. That's all that I ask. Just get what's advertised. And not some either patty that isn't even what, it, what it's supposed to be, or something that was either so stale or so improperly prepared uh, that it tastes completely off. That's all that I ask, but... Yeah, I got. I mean, I gotta tell you that was uh, that was disappointing. So I don't know how. Like, I'm I'm curious. I'm just asking a, a general question. And if you want to answer this, you can leave a comment or you can uh, send me an email, v o r w i n f o at gmail dot com. If you're a fast food consumer, you you don't need to be a fast food person every day, but if you have a meal a couple times a week or once a week, or a couple times a month, whatever it is, from these major fast food chains in the uh, United States, how are the standards where you are? Have you noticed it going downhill for you, or is it getting better, is it getting worse, is it same as it ever was? Because at least in my circumstance, my, uh, my situation, the ones that I'm dealing with, 
I've noticed it going downhill further and further and further. I'm just curious if this is universal, or if it is perhaps only unique to this certain geographic area. It's just a... something that I've been wondering. It's just a miscellaneous little head-scratcher. Figure I would share it with you, and if you have any input and uh, any observations of your own, always interested in hearing them and, uh, you know, seeing what you have to say. It's always one of the best parts of this show, really, seeing what you guys, the listening audience, what your thoughts and feedback is. So otherwise, uh, keeping this opening a little monologue spiel going, uh, we're still, I think I'm just going to use this new microphone from now on. Uh, you know, that's where that stands. I'm recording it outside tonight. Uh, there's been lots of uh, rain and thunderstorm activity, so it cooled things off a little bit, which is nice. But this time I'm recording it late, around uh, 12.21 a.m. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's not too loud out here. So again, I mean, I don't know. I know the background noise that this microphone picks up isn't the best, but that's because it's very directional. And, I mean, I think that's a good thing. It means I can record in certain circumstances, which heretofore I, I would not be able to. Uh, for instance, if, let's say, there was some construction down the street, and, you know, they were hammering away at something, or let's say there were some dogs barking, or whatever. And with the previous microphone, it would have picked that up. It might not have been the loudest in the world, but it still would be noticeable. Whereas with this one, I think it would still be possible to record, and the background noise would be very muted. Uh, but in the background today, we have a few, you know, crickets and uh, nighttime fauna making their noises, their usual conversational chatter. And uh, then there's a few noises of some traffic uh, in the background. You know how sound carries it at night. So just from the highways, you know, the big trucks and everything just going by. Might be able to hear that in the background right there, I don't know. It's probably a big dump truck or a 18-wheeler or whatever flying down the road. Who's to say, anyway? Uh, so that's where that stands in regards to background noise and microphone quality, but, I mean, overall, like I said, show after show back, uh, yeah, I'm used, I'm getting used to it now. And, uh, you just kind of set the microphone up, get it, uh, you know, situated and hooked up, and then you're good to go. And I'm learning the new software and the new programs, and your practice makes perfect. When you start off something new, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall. You're going to make lots of mistakes, but that's okay, that's, that's perfectly normal. As a matter of fact, I think that's more normal than to just start something for the first time and just excel at it. It's fine to make mistakes, because then you can look, you can see where you went wrong, where you messed up, and then you can look from that where you can improve going forward. So, you know, always, if you make mistakes, it's not the end of the world. Everyone does, and it can end up being a very valuable learning experience to better yourself, your practice, your service, whatever it is that you do uh, in the future. So it's always a valuable experience. Not to say you should intentionally make mistakes, but if they happen, you can turn that seemingly negative thing into a positive by the way that it is handled after the fact. All right, before we uh, 
otherwise get into the big topic today. One thing I've been following, you know, sometimes I do bring up current events. Uh, so I check the news, you know, I I do enjoy reading the news. I just, I mean, lately I've been, you know, kind of ignoring a lot of the issues politically in the U.S. Uh, just because it gets so, so repetitive, you know, so repetitively incessant. Uh, but of course, I do try to keep an eye on things and see what's going on, you know. One thing that uh, hasn't really been talked about much, that is going on, though, and I mean, I guess it just, it is what it is, is uh, the conflict going on in Libya. Did you, uh, did you hear about that at all recently? Like, I, I think, I think most of us know about the, you know, the civil war that happened in Libya back in 2011, uh, when the Gaddafi regime was overturned, overthrown, and, uh, then it's, it's kind of like after that happened, after the, uh, provisional government was kind of set up, eh, you know, everyone forgot about Libya. No one really uh, cares very much about them. But the country of Libya has been in the midst of a, a civil war since 2014. It's a conflict that is very seldom reported on. But, I mean, it's such a... such a mess. That's... I mean, that's the only way I can put it. Where, unfortunately, and this sometimes happens after a, uh, you know, a regime change where the provisional government that's put in place after the original government is toppled is very disorganized. And, you know, it's just a very, very loosely tied group of people that maybe had that one singular cause to do away with the original government. But after that, everyone has their own vision, you know, their own idea of what should come after it. And as a result, that provisional government starts fracturing and splitting and splitting up. And then, sure enough, fighting happens again. And that's what happened in uh, Libya, where there's... It's the craziest thing. But again, like I explained, it kind of makes sense. Where after Gaddafi was overthrown, everything just fell apart. Because you had all these different groups that were trying to claim their power now and trying to get their stake in things and say, look, all right, uh, my group is the government of Libya. We're the ones in charge. And someone else will say, no, 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 my group is. And a third group, no, no, we are the real government of Libya. You'll, you know, that stuff happens. At this point, there are pretty much two different factions in Libya that control different parts of the country. Uh, there is the government of National Accord, which is backed by the United Nations, and then there is the House of Representatives, uh, which is backed by a number of regional powers, uh, as well as some bigger countries, such as France, Russia, Saudi Arabia, etc. And both of these groups claim to be the legitimate government, uh, but lately, the House of Representatives government has decided, all right, we're just going to try to take over the entire country, pretty much, and uh, just unify it all. So lately, there's been lots of fighting going on over there, uh, because 
they decided, all right, we're going to go and try and launch this major offensive at the city of Tripoli. Not to be confused with the, the city in Lebanon, uh, but Tripoli, Libya, uh, which has a population of roughly uh, 1.2 million people. So, I mean, it's a large city. It's the uh, de facto capital, which the other side there controls. Uh, but the House of Representatives government said, you know, we're going to try and take over this city. Well, because there's really no organization at all, uh, there's just been lots of just very messy fighting going on the last few days. Uh, you know, it's not like full-blown tanks or uh, warfare. You know, it's more like you've been seeing lately. This is just the way that it is nowadays. Uh, you know, guys driving around with the Toyota pickup trucks with a machine gun in the back and, you know, doing their thing. But on occasion, they'll kind of take a few old uh, old fighter jets, you know, and fly them up, launch a few airstrikes here and there. And yeah, the, whole, the whole situation has just been a complete mess. And I'm just surprised that uh, there's just been such a lack of coverage because it's probably one of the largest military operations going on right now. You know, usually with the news cycle being what it is, uh, lots of people follow that type of stuff. You know, lots of people always like seeing the stories about someone fighting someone else and what's going on. Uh, you know, even the, uh, the the conflict that was going on in uh, Jammu and Kashmir in India, between India and Pakistan, even though that wasn't covered to an extreme level, it was still talked about. You know, it still got the uh, got the news going. And, of course, this, all the stuff going on in Syria, people were talking about that. But Libya, I mean, maybe the other day when the airstrikes were done on the, uh, the one airport in Tripoli, the last active one, that kind of got the news for maybe like a couple hours, but that was it. But there's stuff going on continuously. And it's just such an odd situation. Or also in these times, you know, usually you have, uh, oh, all these world powers telling them to knock it off and to stop, or we're going to intervene, you know, we're going to be the world police, and uh, we're just going to start bombing everyone there to, to put an end to it, and this and that, and the other thing. You know the way it goes. Uh, but this time around, no one's doing anything. It's like the uh, the ideology is just, alright, you guys fight it out, go to town, and uh, you do, do, do what you gotta do. Weirdest thing. It's just so... So odd, but that's, you know, it's a such a uh, dejected country. It's the only way to describe Libya, and I hate calling it that because it was a, it's a beautiful place. But at this point in time, that's what it is. No one really cares about them. They're forgotten and uh, in dismal shape. But I hope one day, uh, once the fighting is over, and you know whoever ends up winning. I just hope that there ends up being a rebuilding process and uh, the quality of life hopefully goes up. Many times it's not the case, but you could always try to, to hope for the best, but anything. But anyway, that's just one thing that I just wanted to share with all of you because I just find it anyway to be an important current event. And when I see something that's so, so seldom discussed, I just want to bring it up for at least a few minutes in the show. Now on to the main feature of the program, what I wanted to talk about. And this uh, came to my attention 
It was actually by a number of questions. So at first I was going to make this just one of the uh, listener-suggested topics. But coincidentally, I think I had either three or four different emails come in, all suggesting pretty much the same topic, or at least variants of it. I thought to myself, okay, well, if it's been suggested this much, I'm sure that there's other people that might want to hear about it, and, you know, just weren't vocal. So I'm just going to kind of give my own spin to it, and uh, just address it as the main, the main subject for today's program. A lot of people wanted to know my take on smartphones, and, you know, just essentially internet-connected devices being used by kids. Uh, let's just... Let's just give an age range... I don't know, what sounds good? Let's say from 3 to 13, you know? We'll just keep it at that. That 10-year span, uh, which is probably the most formative... Uh, span of, of time that there probably is in one's life uh, when it comes down to physical and mental development. You know, I mean, you compare from age of 3 to 13, the amount of change that happens in those 10 years. You know, but then you look at 13 to 23, all right, you know, there still is a lot of change, but not as much as there was in that prior age range. And then, you know, you go from 23 to 33, less... And 33 to 43, it's pretty much just stabilized. And, you know, then it's usually just life events that end up changing one's uh, circumstance and, and so on and so forth. And people were saying, you know, well, what are your thoughts uh, with, you know, kids owning smartphones at, at such a young age? Do you support it? Are you against it? Are you an advocate of it? Or are you in vehement objection to it? What are your thoughts? And, I mean, at first I thought I was going to have an easy answer to it. But it's a lot more complicated than you'd initially think. Because my gut reaction would be, well, I think that smartphones shouldn't be given to young kids. And maybe after the age of... Uh, you know, let's just say 9 or, or 10, maybe, but they should perhaps have some sort of parental controls. But, I mean, that solution is not anywhere close to being as easy as it sounds. Because then you start factoring in some of the variables. It, it just it doesn't work out that easily. And then... The more you think about it, the more you even wonder, is there even an answer to that question? Is there even a given, a given solution? Because the biggest issue with smartphones and tablets, computers, you name it, whatever, like I'll, I'll just say internet-connected device, someone has is that it can be an exceptionally beneficial tool. But at the same time, it can be extremely detrimental to one's health, especially mentally 
sometimes even physically. Is there a balance? A lot of the time, one thing cancels the other out. You just look at the internet. I mean, this is just from a general perspective, right? There is so much incredible good on the internet. So many good resources for help, entertainment, enjoyment, pursuit of knowledge, information. Yet at the very same time, there are just so many disgusting things out there as well. And when it's such a double-edged sword like that, I don't think there is any possible way anymore to be able to find that balance of being able to keep the good and do away with the bad. You know? There's no way. There is absolutely no way for that to be done anymore. So, that's where the problem lies. Number one, what age, if any, is suitable for young people and kids to own smartphones? And number two, how do you go about it? So I've been doing a lot of thinking about that these last few days. First things first, an admission must be made. The way that kids today grow up, again, during those very formative years, has been irrevocably changed. There is no denying that, and there's, you know, there's nothing that can bring, you know, the days when kids uh, played outside all the time, didn't use computers, and this and that. There's no way to bring that back. You know, that's just... Trying to do so, unfortunately, is a lost cause today. Because the internet is the cornerstone of society today. At all ages. At all levels. And that's just the way that it is. So to try to block it out entirely would be completely counterintuitive. And... That would be just as harmful, I think, to, uh, you know, a, a kid growing up today in long term as it is that they would go on the internet, roam free, and find all this terrible stuff. Be a different type of harm, but it would still be damaging. So blocking it entirely, I don't think that's an option. I don't think that's going to happen. Then you got to ask yourself, okay, well that's off the table. When do kids, uh, when, when should they get a smartphone? And that's the toughest question of it all. Maybe at the age of 10. That's what first comes to mind. But, you know, you see kids as young as three being given a tablet or a smartphone or whatever. And... There's certain types of platforms that try to be safe for kids. Like, uh, you know, you see YouTube Kids, right? Where you can watch the children's videos and whatever could keep the kid occupied. But things will still slip through the cracks. And while the child might not be completely literate, a lot of young kids uh, know a lot more about, you know, social media, whatever than you would ever expect them to at such a young age. And I could guarantee you, I mean 100%, there are six-year-olds out there that are probably dozens of times more savvy than I am 
when it comes to social media. And, you know, I'm, I'm, it's like I feel like I'm given this monologue like, like I'm 70 years old, you know, but I, I could guarantee you that there are, uh, yeah, that there are six-year-olds out there that know more about whatever is trending on social media and know how to navigate this and do this and that and the other thing uh, than I myself do. So, I mean, it's, it, it's baffling, but it's uh, so puzzling. My solution and what my take, I would say that I think that a full smartphone should perhaps be given to kids at the age of 10. And again, they should try to have some sort of parental controls. Look, the honest answer is that parental controls aren't going to work. They aren't. The kid wants to find something, he or she is going to find it. And they're going to find a way to navigate around those parental controls. But hopefully, it'll still be a way to at least try. Not necessarily 100% successfully, but nonetheless to try to block out some of the most abhorrent material on the internet. Uh, from, you know, just damaging the poor kid's mind. There's no need for a uh, a child to be watching videos of someone getting killed or some bloodbath or some extremely charged political rant. I mean, you name it. There is no need for any of that, if you ask me. I think that is extremely damaging to the, ki the kid's mind, psyche, you name it, than people would think. So... I mean, that's the best solution I could think of. But in the end, I don't even know if there is one. Like, I'm just going to play devil's advocate, right? I think a lot of kids end up getting smartphones and all of that stuff younger and younger for two reasons. Number one, I think the biggest reason is it's a parenting strategy. Mommy and daddy are overworked. You know, they, they don't have as much time as what used to be years ago to be able to raise the kid, and they might not want to pay for a, a nanny or a daycare or whatever. So the best way to keep the kid occupied, well, you know, give them a smartphone. And let them watch YouTube videos all day or play games or whatever. You know, look around on this side or the other. You don't have the time to regulate it, but... You know, it keeps the kid busy and, you know, keeps him looking at something and watching something, and, uh, that's that. And then I think to a lesser extent, and I think this attitude of consumerism is, uh, is dying. I don't think it's as much as it used to be. Uh, but there was a time, anyway, when smartphones were, and I think in some cases still are seen as a status symbol. Oh, well, you know, look, my kid has the, uh, the blah, 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 uh, S5500, uh, you know, with this and that and whatever, you know. And I blew, uh, 2.5 grand on this phone, and what does your kid have? I don't think that's as common anymore, because with so much debt, I don't think people really have that type of cash to blow, but I, you know, I think you still see that in a few cases, but I think largely it's the first, uh, where it's just a means of parenting. It's the equivalent nowadays... Of, you know, the kid watching TV or whatever. Things have just progressed with the times. But at the same time, as we know, it's still different. Because while YouTube 
I think for a lot of people, has kind of taken the role of, of television. There are still differences. When it came down to your basic over-the-air television that you had years ago, there was that set number of channels and that certain number of programs you could watch at any given time. And, you know, there were strict guidelines, strict filters. You weren't really going to have certain as deemed negative or offensive materials being broadcast. With the internet, there may be those filters in place, but pretty much anything goes. The things that might not have ever been available on television are readily available, sometimes even by accident. So, there are those differences. And that's what leaves me extremely conflicted, uh, because being able to be proficient with internet and all that stuff is extremely important today. But at the same time, there's just so much disgusting garbage out there, and there's no way of filtering it out. So what do you do? You have to just try your best, and unfortunately, the kid is probably going to come across some twisted, sick, evil stuff. And you, th there's nothing that you can do about it. He's going to find it at some point anyway. Not even, not even by intention. So, I suppose you just have to make that metaphorical dice roll and just hope for the best. <laughs> Who's to say what the lasting outcome will be? But I mean, it's, it's as difficult as it gets. Because it's got its positives, its negatives, its benefits, and its drawbacks. And sometimes you get lucky and there's those situations where one far outweighs the other. But in this situation, there is no middle ground. It all cancels itself out, and then you're forced to make that choice. And each choice you make will have a negative outcome. Will it have a positive outcome? Unfortunately, that's something that we're not going to know for a while, until the kids grow up and, you know, become older and older. Who's to say? The issue, of course, right now, is that some kids who are like around 10 years old, or whatnot, 10, 11, 12, born between 2007 and 2009, have been alive their entire lifespan in the time where social media and smartphones have always existed. But at the same time, one cannot gauge their behaviors or their mindset or their ideology as an impact of that just yet. Because let's face it, they're kids. When you're 12 years old, would you consider your mindset back then as being an accurate reflection as to how you think currently? I bet there's a few people that would actually say yes, but I think a large majority would say no, you know? When you're a kid, you always do stupid stuff. You always think idiotic things, and, you know, that's just, that's just how kids are. That's just the way, that's the way that it is. So as a result, you can't take a look at any childish behavior and say, well, see, that's because of smartphones and the internet. We were all like that. It's just a different world now. We've all been stupid and done silly things that 
you know, you look back retrospectively and you say, I can't believe I actually did that or thought that or whatever. I mean, that's just, that's how kids will always be. It's 10 years from now how they end up being when they start entering their 20s. That's going to be the real, the real litmus test. That's going to be something to watch. Extremely good question, though. Thank, thank you to all of you that brought that up. And, I mean, it's hard for me to get a good perspective on it because there is just, there's so many factors, so many variables that go into it. I think it led to a really good discussion, and uh, thank you to all of you that, that brought it up. You're listening to VORW International, the voice of the Report of the Week. Questions, comments, feedback, reception reports are all welcome. Send me an email if you're listening. V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com That's V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com We now are going to be starting the listener-suggested topic portion of the program where we take a look at what you guys would like to hear me talk about. So we're going to be getting a few of those. If you have a topic or a opinion or uh, just any thoughts on what has been discussed so far, any viewpoints, perspectives, things you'd like to hear me talk about in the next show, send me an email, v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. And also on one final note before we start that portion of the program, uh, do bear in mind that this program is completely listener-funded. Ad revenue, sales donations, you name it, across the board are down. As a result, consider supporting this program. Your help is always very much appreciated. Donations via PayPal are welcome to vorwinfo at gmail.com or via Patreon at patreon.com slash the report of the week. Radio airtime and operating costs are expensive. They add up but they are worth every single dollar sent forth. Last week I sent out some surveys to try to gauge listenership and see whatever thoughts there are about the uh, show, especially the shortwave broadcasts. Try to say programs and broadcasts. And the responses were incredible. Still lots of people out there that listen to shortwave and many that that's the only way they can hear this show on. You know, they don't have the fast, good internet and streaming capabilities that you and I have. So they have to listen on the radio. And those responses just kind of made me open my eyes a bit. And Sometimes I get really pessimistic about shortwave, but seeing that made me realize, you know, there's more people out there that listen than I thought. Most people listening never even write in. So we can't forget the true silent majority out there. Keep it going if you can. It reaches so many people that we may never see, but they're out there. I can guarantee you that. I know for a fact that there are tens of thousands of people across the Caribbean, Central and South America that listen on shortwave. They'll never have a way to write in, but that's not going to stop them from listening in. I have first-hand accounts that verify that. People across this country... It's 40 million people in the U.S. don't even have internet still. I guarantee a number of them 
still listen to the radio primarily. Do what you can to support. V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com via PayPal. We're going to be starting up the second half of the program momentarily. Do stand by. Uh, this is, again, the halfway portion of the show, the second half. Probably a better way to say it. Wherein we just take a look at your listener response, feedback, and uh, what topics you would like to hear discussed on this program. Again, as I did mention, though, if anyone is just tuning in for the first time, I always do appreciate hearing your thoughts, feedback, and viewpoint on the show. If you're listening in on shortwave, uh, reception reports are always welcome. And if there's a topic you want to hear me talk about, always email v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. Let's shout out a few listeners before anything else. I want to say hello to Shane in New York City, Ricky in Texas, Norm in New Hampshire, and Norman in Miami, Florida, all listening in online. And last week we had a good amount of shortwave listeners. I don't know if conditions were good or if just people were writing in. I want to say hello to Vivian in Raleigh, North Carolina, listening in on 7780 kHz. Mary in Halifax, Massachusetts. And Greg on the east coast of Florida, all of them listening in on 7780. The frequency of 5850 kHz uh, also was uh, great. Uh, we heard from Brian in Cranbrook, British Columbia, Canada. Grant in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Neil in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Doug in Cumming, Georgia, Frank in Eastern Montana, and Bill in Ohio, all of them uh, listening in on 5850. And we also heard from Pastor Cody in Texas, who was tuned in on 5950 kHz. Uh, like I mentioned, that broadcast is now discontinued, so uh, hopefully he'll be able to catch the show on 5850, which is uh, usually a viable alternative for the state of Texas and uh, all of Western North America. With that being said, we have a lot of uh, topics coming in. Some of them, uh, as always, are, you know, serious. Some of them are more lighthearted, and uh, it's just a good mix coming up. So without further ado, dear listeners, uh, let us begin. Our first topic comes from, I believe, Brandon. I'm pretty sure that if I got your name wrong, I apologize. He says, I have a question for you. Is Hungry Howie's a local chain? The reason I ask is because I've only seen one, and it was in Bradenton, Florida. Have you ever eaten inside one? I found it appalling. The tables were covered in slime, and there were children tearing around. They were leaving trails of trash and marinara sauce. It was a horrible time. Also, the breadsticks are perfectly rectangular, which strikes me as odd. Usually they puff up and become rounded. Makes you wonder. Thank you, Brandon, for your question. Uh, Hungry Howie's is a regional chain. You know, I always like to say that there are... There's like three types of chain restaurants, right? There are local, regional, and then, you know, national, international. So, for instance, like a local chain would be a place that maybe has between like two and uh, maybe two dozen establishments that are all just in a specific area, right? Let's say if it was just in the central Florida area. 
a regional chain might have, you know, a hundred restaurants that would be all throughout the state of Florida, and then a few that are in uh, maybe Georgia, a couple in Alabama, etc., etc. And then a national, international chain would be, you know, like McDonald's. I mean, they're everywhere. Uh, so Hungry Howie's is a regional chain. Uh, before I began this segment, I started, I was looking up on the maps, trying to find out where all the locations are. There are lots of Hungry Howie locations in Florida, a lot of them in Michigan and uh, Ohio as well, and then there's a couple that are scattered throughout other parts of the country. From personal experience, uh, Hungry Howie's is terrible. And there's not too many places, especially pizza places, that I would say that, because I, you know, I like my pizza. Hungry Howie's is terrible. I mean, that's the only way I can describe it. I, uh, I, I didn't have the high honor, like you did, to actually dine inside one of them. I just do carry out. Uh, but, I mean, it was terrible. Food was not good at all. Sauce was uh, just, like, tomato paste. It was garbage. The only reason I went there normally was because of this spicy marinara sauce that they had, and then I got rid of that. And I haven't been there since. The staff was rude. Uh, very inconsiderate, very mean. You know, it's just, they kind of have this just, you know, attitude where, you know, I don't care about you, just give me your money and leave. Not, uh, not welcoming in the least. And, uh, I don't know, people say that it's affordable, but every single time I would go there just to get a single pizza, they would charge me close to 20 bucks. People were saying they can get a pizza for 5 bucks there. I, I, I don't know how, but it was, uh, grossly overpriced. And, uh, just, I mean, very disappointed. So, I'm pretty sure it's just a regional chain, uh, but I would say one of my least favorite, uh, chain restaurants for pizza. You know, not, I am not a fan of Hungry Howie's, admittedly. So, uh, you're not alone in your bad experience, because I've had many bad experiences at Hungry Howie's, uh, upon which I have no desire in the least to go back. So thank you, uh, Brandon, for your question, and, uh, and I, I mean, I agree with you completely. I, I have not had a single good experience, I don't think, at Hungry Howie's, really, at least lately. You know, maybe one or two good times in the past, but, I mean, uh, nothing good in, uh, in recent times. Next, we uh, hear from Nathan. He says, I've been regularly listening to your podcasts, and I do enjoy them. I was wondering your thoughts about deep sea myths and monsters. Thank you, Nathan, for your question. And this might have been something that I discussed in the past. You know, the ocean is uh, is one of those places that is so unexplored, especially the, the, the deep, you know, the deep sea. There's so much of it out there, and so little of it has actually been you know, marked down and, and jotted down, etc. Who knows? I mean, who knows if if such, you know, any, any large, undiscovered sea life does exist out there. I mean, you'd be surprised. Who's to say? I think sometimes we just vastly underestimate the size of the ocean. You know, even if it was like just an inch deep, right? The amount that there would still be water covering, you, you, you look at the distance between, let's just say, the coast of Australia, New Zealand, to the west coast of the uh, United States, 
just that amount of distance, thousands and thousands of miles. And then you factor in that a lot of the ocean is thousands of feet deep. The amount of things that can be there is uh, incredible. You know, the, the one thing that I was looking up, I was reading about whales the other day. And I think all of us, if, if we're familiar with whales, the blue whale is, uh, I mean, we know it's huge, that it is a massive organism. Uh, and I didn't even know this until yesterday. The blue whale is actually the largest living animal ever. It's bigger than the dinosaurs, bigger than all of the Pleistocene megafauna, bigger than all of that. It is the largest animal to have ever existed, and it's alive right now. You know, isn't, isn't that incredible? You know, you think like the largest animal, oh, it's got to be, you know, some giant thing in the, the dinosaur era. And no, no, it's the blue whale that's swimming around at this very moment. So, I mean, who is to say? There was a time when the giant squid was, uh, you know, thought to be, didn't, people didn't think it existed. And then I think in like 2012, they finally verified that, oh yeah, actually there are squid out there that can be up to 50 feet in length. It's incredible. It took that long. Before then, it was just a thing of, you know, of, of, of myth. The oceans are a fascinating thing. And while I myself haven't the desire to become a sailor or any sort of seafaring person, certainly reading about them brings about quite a great deal of, of entertainment and insight, in my opinion. So, Nathan, I mean, I think, I think that there still are lots of things in the ocean that we have yet to discover. Are there things out there that might be bigger than the blue whale? Possibly. Would I say that it's unlikely? Yes, but... I would not discount it at this point in time, because there is so little that is explored, and so much that is still out there, if you ask me. Our next topic comes from a listener in the Netherlands, who goes by the name Elamine. Uh, sorry if it's mispronounced, but I, I tried my best. Uh, she writes, For next week, I would like to hear more about your suits and ties. What colors and fabrics do you prefer? Or maybe you don't have a preference at all. Thank you for your question. Uh, when it comes down to the uh, sartorial realm of things, my clothing, what I wear, uh, a lot of the time I go with a more traditional approach. Uh, you know, meaning that I usually wear more darker color items and uh, just more, not too many loud colors. Uh, so most of the time I enjoy wearing black suits even though some people say I only wear the black suits for funerals, uh, I enjoy wearing black suits uh, most of the time. You know, that's, I just like it. I think black is a very versatile color. Uh, but otherwise, let's see, what, what color suits do I wear the most? Uh, I wear black suits quite a bit. Uh, gray, usually dark gray. Uh, on occasion, I have light blue. I have a dark blue. But, I mean, I also have a brown suit and one that's kind of like a very subdued green, like maybe like an olive, you know, green suit. Uh, but most of the time, you know, it's just very muted colors. 
Uh, as for fabric, <laughs> the, I would just say the one fabric that I hate and that I never want to get a suit in is uh, polyester, like those god-awful 70s suits, like those disco-era suits. Terrible. That's a that's just a, a, an awful material, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, in, in the end, I think when it comes down to clothing, anyone could wear what they want to wear. I mean, look, if you want to wear, uh, whatever, you know, a mid-90s suit that looks really dated and, you know, old by today's standards, wear it. If you want to do one of the ultimate uh, fashion faux pas and uh, wear suspenders and a belt, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ridicule you for that. Some people will, but I don't I don't care. So I mean, it's all up to what you want to wear. Uh, that's just my personal preference. But if you know if someone wants to just wear those you know, 1970s era suits all the time, that's fine too. So thank you for your question, and uh, let's see. What else we have? What other questions do we have? Marty checks in. Uh, he says, with Season 8 of Game of Thrones starting this Sunday, the 14th, I was wondering if you had ever watched the show. If not, do you plan to at some point? Does anything about the show interest you? Controversial opinion, but uh, I'm not a Game of Thrones fan. Not that I, I despise the program or the books or any of that. Uh, it just never appealed to me. I tried to get into it, but I don't know, it just didn't, uh... It, I don't know, it just was one of those things that it never clicked. I mean, that's all that there is to it. You know, for instance, I tried reading the books. And, uh... Sometimes you get those books where... It, like, it starts out really weak, and you're just not feeling it, but, you, you know, you keep reading it. And uh, then before you know, you kind of get sucked in and, you know, you, you can't you can't put it down. And other times, there's the books that just, they captivate you from, from page one. And then you have the books that it's like, no matter how hard you try, you just can't get into it. And that appeal just isn't there. And unfortunately, that's how Game of Thrones was. I tried to read the book. It just wasn't clicking, you know, there just wasn't, the appeal was not there. Same thing with the television show. You know, but obviously, it's popular for a reason. And, I mean, going forward, I might give it another shot. I might try it out. And, uh, see what happens. So, that's, uh, where that stands. But, who knows what, what the future holds. As of now, I'm not the world's biggest fan, by any means. But, I mean, that could all change. Could all change going forward. Thank you for your topic suggestion, Marty. Uh, we hear from Emma in Wyoming, who uh, would like to hear my thoughts on the conflict between India and Pakistan. Uh, now, this was brought up a few programs back in regards to uh, the fight for Jammu and Kashmir. And uh, she writes, I understand it might not be a, be a very popular topic. Uh, not many people talk about this, but it's been going on for a few decades. And you are very correct there. Uh, I had been following it in greater detail. Uh, after the recent escalation, now it's kind of, uh, you know, it's still going on every day, though it's, uh, you know, not as intense as it was, you know, a month or two ago, uh, when there were the airstrikes, and all of the various claims and, and whatnot. I, I think the only possible way for it to be solved, because obviously this is one of those areas that, 
both sides feel strongly about, otherwise I wouldn't be fighting for so long, is if by some miracle the stars aligned, and there would be diplomatic parties in both India and Pakistan that can come to a sort of truce and a permanent ceasefire, I might have to redraw the lines, you know, make the borders different, uh, but hopefully one day that solution will be done. Until then, though, you know, there's a lot of uh, just e extreme, extreme nationalism in both of those countries where, you know, n neither side is going to give in. So that presents a very difficult situation, almost to the part where it just becomes a complete impasse and nothing really can be done. Uh, which is why, you know, the line of control is what it is, and, you know, there's still exchanges uh, from one side to the next, practically on a daily basis, in the ceasefire violations, so... A diplomatic situa solution, probably the only way it can be done. Because if you were trying to say, well, what about a full-scale takeover? Well, theoretically, obviously, one wins, and, you know, that might solve one thing, but you're still going to have, I think, then, millions of disgruntled, putting it as an understatement, uh, individuals who would probably perhaps even result to guerrilla warfare. It's obviously done already, but it would be even worse, so that wouldn't be a solution. Only thing I can see is a diplomatic, peaceful solution, and you'd have to have both sides on board, on board uh, which seems quite unlikely at this point in time. Thank you, Emma, for your topic suggestion. Now moving over to a few uh, philosophical, sociological topics. We hear from Sam in London. Do you think mental illness is stigmatized still in today's society? Besides talking about it, what other ways do you feel could negate that stigmatism? Thank you for your topic suggestion. I do believe that mental illness is uh, stigmatized still. And I think it all comes down to what specifically uh, it is. Because obviously, you know, to say, well, mental illness, right? Well, obviously that's true, but then there's, of course, all different types of mental illness, right? And there's all different severities. So, I mean, you could have depression. You can have severe, you know, clinical depression. You can have dysthemia, you know, chronic depression. So there are all those different, number one, types even just of depression. Then you could have anxiety. You could have panic attacks. I mean, there's, there's so many things. You could have bipolar disorder. You can have schizophrenia. You can have post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. You can have obsessive-compulsive disorder. All sorts of personality disorders, borderline personality disorder eating disorders, I mean, you name it. So there are so many types of mental illnesses that are out there. As a result of that, I think there are certain ones that are kind of uh, less stigmatized today than they were, you know, whatever, a number of years ago. For instance, I would say certain types of anxiety and depression are looked upon a little easier by that I mean a little less critical from the general public than they were several years ago. But I think that a lot of the other ones, and also depending on the severity, aren't. And I think the issue with that, 
unfortunately stems from a lack of understanding from the public at large. Now, sometimes that's intentional, right? Sometimes you have people that they just don't care. You just go deal with it, right? So if you're dealing with something, you know, find a way to take care of it. You know, not my problem. And other times, it's really not intentional. It's just because it's something that some people have never experienced and have never actually gone through and might not be the most educated on it. So it's just hard to try to visualize and put yourself in someone else's shoes when it's difficult in the first place to try to understand even what it is that they may be going through. So I think as it stands, there may always be a stigma around it. However, I think that the best way to try to combat that stigma is to try to better educate the general public at large about mental illness. I mean, that's a difficult thing to do, because it's not necessarily something that everyone wants to, you know, hear a, a lecture or a spiel on, or, you know, it's just a difficult topic to even introduce. So, I mean, perhaps it would need to be introduced uh, during the primary-secondary school, and, uh, you know, have it literally almost ingrained in people's minds from that point onward. You know, so people understand what mental illnesses are. I mean, fully understand that you don't need to have a, like, a, you know, from a, a full-blown medical doctor or, you know, perspective, but a basic understanding, so at least you know, if you hear about this, you can try to at least have a little bit of empathy and understand what this person is going through. But I know that that's easier said than done, because there are so many out there so many that are disabling, absolutely terrible, and extremely severe, and impact people in different ways. Because of that, because of how different those circumstances are, it's a difficult thing to completely digest. I think the best way to try to help with that stigma is, you know, for the public to be better educated on this in the first place, and to try to talk about it. Uh, but unfortunately, I think there will always be some forms of discrimination toward people uh, that do deal with mental illnesses, where, you know, you could be talking to someone and, uh, you know, they'll be fine, and in the moment, if you bring up the fact that, you know, in one way or another, that you have this or deal with that, all of a sudden now they'll start talking to you like you're uh, just a, a child, like you're stupid. You know, just because you have this or that, uh, then clearly uh, you're, you're mentally slow. And, uh, you know, that might be a way that people are trying to, in their mind, help you or, or deal with you, but in the end it just comes down as uh, quite rude and, and condescending, and uh, really anything but understanding. It's more frustrating than anything else. So unfortunately, there's so much balance that would need to be attained uh, that I, I just think that having that awareness, that education of it all, is the best way to try to combat stigmatization. However, like I said, there will always be people that either just don't know how to handle it, uh, don't have any empathy, uh, or don't care. And unfortunately, you can't, you can't fix that. But better awareness and education and understanding at large is probably the best way to try to combat that and get larger portions of the population to be more understanding. Thank you, Sam, for your topic suggestion.
We next hear from Brad, uh, who writes the following. I'm quite a young viewer, just about to hit my 20s, and I've been thinking a lot about wasted time recently. I don't want to look back in a few decades and say I wasted my youth, and in general, I don't want to waste a lot of time in my life when I could be productive instead. Constantly worrying about it makes me unhappy, though, and I'm conflicted about what to do. I understand. It's a, uh, it's a conflicting situation. I think in large it stems down to uh, just the general ideology of trying to live your life to the fullest, you know? And the thing with that is, again, everyone has a different definition of living you know, a full life. I mean, let's face it. I, I think this is a good thing, to be honest. I, could you imagine, like, if everyone suddenly found out how much time they have left in this world? It would be, it would be insane. So I think, number one, having that knowledge uh, that you're never really going to know when you're going to, uh, when you're going to depart, uh, is for the better, firstly. Secondly... In regards to living a full life, you know, everyone has a different definition of that. So some people will say, well, I, I, only, I will only consider having lived a, a full life, you know, a productive life, whatever, if I visit all seven continents and you know, visit every great landmark and uh, try and become rich and get a million dollars and this and that and the other thing. Other people will say, I think I lived a full life if I'm happy. I don't necessarily have to visit the whole world, but if I find a place and, you know, I'm just happy with life and uh, I might not be the richest person or have the most, but I'm happy. I might say that's a full life. Other people will try and, you know, it all depends. Everyone has their own definition of living a full life. When it comes, though, uh, to time and, and trying to make the most of it, the best thing to do is, even if you are stuck in a very rigid routine, uh, so let's just say, you know, you end up having to deal with class, and then after that you end up getting, you know, a 9-to-5 job, and uh, you don't have much free time, still try and make the most out of the little things each day. Like, for instance, if the weather is good, you know, just try to take it in a little bit, or if there's some good music you like, try and take that in. And then on the free time that you have, be that the weekends, or if you have vacation days, or vacation time, or whatever it might be, you know, think about things that you want to do. If you want to go out and explore, explore nature. You know, plan out a little thing and just go for it. That's the best thing to do. So if you feel like there's something that you want to do, and feasibly it can be done, then go out and do it, and make those memories. Most important thing, as cliched as it sounds, is to live your life rather than to spend all of your time trying to take it in. This was mentioned a few shows back. A good analogy, as always, is if you're at a concert or at some, you know, it's okay to take pictures and videos, but sometimes you see people that are more focused on capturing this event on video than actually taking it in through all five senses and through their own eyes. They're more interested in recording it 
than actually enjoying and immersing themselves fully in the experience. So while it's fine to do that, just make sure that if you're doing something fun, you immerse yourself in it and make the most out of it. And you, far better than me or anyone else listening, will know what those things and activities or whatever it might be that you find uh, worthwhile in life are. And that applies uniquely to you. Uh, so even if time ends up being an issue, you know, just take a little bit out here and there and, uh, you know, do whatever you consider being fun. And uh, even if you want to step off the, the, the beaten path here and there, uh, sometimes it's completely worth it. Most of all, though, it's about being happy, I think, and uh, finding those things in life that bring you happiness. You should so really, I should really say there's people and things and, and things that you do. But it applies uniquely to you, the individual. And uh, with that, thank you for your question, your topic suggestion. And I hope things work out for you, Brad. The perception of time, too, is one of those things that is different for everyone. I used to worry a lot about time. Uh, because it just seemed like it's going by so fast. You know, even uh, just crazy. But I try to tell myself, you know... Stop worrying about it when there's nothing that I can do. I can't stop time. I can't reverse time. Nor can I slow it down. So with that, instead, instead of spending that time being in a funk and worrying about time itself, enjoy it. Enjoy what you got. It's the most important thing. I know that's easier said than done, but that's just my two cents. Next we hear from Becky and Koki Hansen. They say... If you can review any meal at any restaurant, regardless of price or travel, in other words, with a snap of the fingers, you could be there, and another, you would be home, what would be your dream review? It doesn't have to be fast food, but it could be. It's an interesting question, you know, and while one place doesn't necessarily, you know, come to mind like that, I have a feeling that it would either be, like, a really, really good restaurant, you know, like a full-blown, um, I'm talking just, like, one of the, one of the best in the world, you know, and I'd get, like, a premium, uh, steak or something, like, just the best of the best, you know, just to try it for the heck of it and just see how good this really ends up being. Yeah, so something, like, really exquisite and, uh, in that realm... That's one possibility. Another thing, just on a more kind of, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, would be like going to one of those, I think we've all been to these types of places, where uh, you go to like a local restaurant, like even just a mom and pop place. Maybe you're out traveling, you're not really in the area, but you stop there, you get something to eat, and it's delicious. But because you're obviously not located in this area anymore. Maybe you used to be or you moved. You can't go there again. And, you know, you kind of miss that type of place. Uh, it might be to one of those, like, just mom-and-pop places that I, you know, I remember having a really good meal at. Or B, it would be at one of those, like, like I said, five-star uh, steakhouses, one of the best in the world, and just see how, how good it really is. So, it would definitely, it would not be fast food, though. I think that would be uh, squandering such an opportunity. Definitely be a sit-down restaurant, 
uh, but what type it would be, uh, that would still be up for debate because, I mean, there's, there's so much out there, so many options, you know, so many possibilities. So that it would all depend on, but that's what I think it would end up being. Uh, we have two more. Yeah, we've got two more topics coming in. Uh, we hear from Parker in northeast Georgia, the United States, who is a mail carrier for the United States Postal Service. Uh, he says, what are your thoughts on the USPS? I think that despite all of the, uh, you know, how everything is done electronically, postal mail still has its place in this day and age. And as a result of that, the USPS is still very necessary. Uh, there are still times where you do need to send out letters or receive them, especially when it comes down to paying your bills or uh, formal documents, you name it. It's still done in paper. If you have to mail a package, uh, you know, sometimes people use FedEx or UPS or whatever, any other service, uh, but sometimes they still use the USPS. I think it is a very valuable service, and uh, I think it needs more funding, to be honest. keeps getting cut back, and what always gets me now are just uh, abysmal hours at, at the post office nowadays. Uh, where I even checked, there's one post office that's open for like two hours a day, and that's it. And uh, so many post offices nowadays just close at 5 p.m. You know, what about all the individuals who get off of work at 5 or 6 p.m.? You know, what What about them? So I think I think more funding does need to be put toward the post office, uh, if anything, to be able to expand the hours and uh, offer some better services, because it's still a very, very valuable thing, even today. I think it will be for years to come, even with Amazon and Amazon deliveries and all of that. The USPS still has its place, and I just think it should be better taken care of, uh, because without it, people might not think about it very much, uh, I think it would have severe consequences. So, that's just a, uh, that's just my two cents. And uh, then on a final note, we hear from Raphael, who has the following topic. He says, could you just offer your thoughts about kind of getting out of the past? Uh, by that, he kind of means, like, if I have a certain way of, of, of thinking, he said, you know, you mentioned, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, he said, for instance, where you said that change isn't necessarily a bad thing, how can I kind of get my mind out of this old mindset or, or way of doing things and try to embrace something new? That always is difficult, because especially when it comes down to routine or a certain way of thinking, when it's something that you've been doing for so long, it becomes second nature. The best thing to do is to keep trying to catch yourself. And it's going to be tough, because you're going to keep going back to the old ways. You know, that's going to keep happening. But every time, try and stop yourself. Try and... Now look, there's going to be times where you're not even going to realize it. And I understand that. But if there are times when you consciously realize that you did make that mistake, and, you know, you want to try and avoid that, catch yourself and try and even just tell yourself, shoot, you know, I gotta... I gotta redo that, or try and look at this differently, or next time just consciously try to force yourself to adopt this different way of doing things. One other thing is to try to assess what the benefits would be of pursuing this new activity or means of, of 
you're going about your business and your life and the drawbacks of continuing as you are. So for instance, you know, sit down for a minute, write it down, note it down in your mind, whatever works for you, and ask yourself, if I keep going on this current course and I don't change, what bad things are going to happen? And if I change my path and go about this new thing, what good things will come about? Sometimes being able to write that down, get it out, and be able to address directly the benefits and drawbacks can serve as a means of motivation. You know, you could even look at the benefits of whatever it is, use that as a means of incentivizing yourself, thinking, all right, well, if I start going about, uh, you know, this new way of doing things, look, see, this is what can happen, and this is how things can get better, and I can do this now, and I can do that, and I could, I could have more time enjoying whatever. And you can use that as an incentive for trying to carry out this new thing. So that's just a suggestion, but uh, it might not be the world's greatest, but it's a suggestion nonetheless. With that, dear listeners, I'm going to be wrapping up today's broadcast of VORW International. Again, on a final note, if you have any questions, comments, pieces of feedback, reception reports, and topic suggestions, what do you want to hear me talk about in the next show? Send me an email, VORW. I-N-F-O at gmail.com And if you don't have any topic suggestions, that's perfectly fine too. Just drop a line and say hello. V-O-R-W I-N-F-O at gmail.com Help keep this show going as always by donating via PayPal to V-O-R-W I-N-F-O at gmail.com or via Patreon patreon.com slash the report of the week With that, I hope you can tune in again next week this same time in frequency, 7780 kHz to Eastern North America and Europe, 5850 kHz across the North American continent, online via TuneIn, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Google Play, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Hope you can tune in again. With that, thank you for listening. Do take care. We shall meet again. Thursday, the 18th of April, 2019. This is VORW. And on one final note, I always would like to mention this broadcast is brought to you by Database Pros. For HR databases, HOA databases, and more great database software, check them out, db-pros.com.